Hey there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. On this episode, we have a returning guest co-pilot, Mr. Ray Permi. Ray P., welcome back to the Albumatics podcast. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing great. Awesome, dude. Great Excellent. to have you back. Yeah. Thank you. So this time out, we're going to be talking about the Jimi Hendrix Experience's 1967 debut LP, Are You Experienced? Ray P., give us your background with Jimi Hendrix and this album in particular. Well, this album in particular, I got this, I believe I was in eighth grade on cassette. I, I was big into the doors really early, probably right after that uh, that album or that book came out with uh, Danny Sugarman. And I remember reading that. I remember that was like the biggest book I ever read. Yeah, no one here gets like, out alive, right? Yeah, it was like three inches thick. They he kept in the book he referenced Hendrix and uh, and Hendrix and Joplin and you know being in the Twenty Seven Club, and I just remember being curious and I I picked this up I knew I knew Purple Haze and I loved it but that's all I knew I I picked this album up and it took me a while to kind of get it but you know as the saying goes once I got it I got it so all right Ray Z well. I had heard Hendrix like on classic rock radio. Um, the, one of like the first real like somebody sitting me down and introduced me to Hendrix was my buddy Dave Bates, his brother Todd, and uh, he was like you know the the total classic rock Zeppelin Hendrix devotee. And he would like point out different things. Oh, Hendrix did this and Hendrix did that. Well, you know, which interested me, but like I didn't really zero into him until I probably started playing guitar and getting into Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then Stevie Ray kind of pointed me in that direction because I loved what Stevie was playing. And of course, it be, kind of became like in the '90s. It was like this kind of Hendrix and Vaughn became like a slash or a hyphen. They were always placed together. Yeah. Like a guy, like Kenny Wayne Shepard was a guitarist in the school of Hendrix Vaughn. And, right. And you'd see that like all over like rock magazines. The first Hendrix album I actually had was Electric Ladyland. And I didn't even own uh, Are You Experienced till like probably around, I think it was like 1995. All right. And uh, barring that, the only other person who like really kind of used to feed me with all my Hendrix stuff was this guy named Kayvon Deruyan, who I used to play guitars with on weekends when I was in college. And uh, he just had like the entire, well, he had the entire catalog up to the point in the 90s before they started like reissuing stuff. Yeah. And getting all this stuff from the vault. Oh, yeah. The discography is yeah. so convoluted. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Since around that time, my late teens, my early 20s, I've been a Hendrix devotee and this one album in particular is, is fantastic. Yeah, my first recollections of Jimi Hendrix are that his name was often mentioned by other musicians in rock magazines as a musical influence or recognized as a great guitar player long before I ever heard a song by him or his band. I do remember the first tune I heard was Hey Joe, and I heard that because my uncle played it while we lifted weights along with my cousin <laughs> in his basement. It was one of our weightlifting songs. Nice. <laughs> uh, shout out to my uncle Jeff LeBeau. I dug that song right off the bat. From there, I heard a couple of Jimmy's tunes on the radio, and the first cassette I bought was Smash Hits. It was a Greatest Hits compilation. It's a, uh, an overview of the experience oh, material. One. Yeah, it's it's the it's very small. Scale. I can see the lettering on the like, yeah. different colors on the album cover right now. But it's, it's decent. Yeah, I, I also found out that my father owned that, and I later learned that he was a Hendrix fan too. We, he didn't have like his records though. Mm-hmm. We, we, he never played them much, but I later learned on that he was a Hendrix fan too. All right on. I dug that smash hit so much, I decided to dive into the catalog. I said, I got to explore this guy. And then I went in order of release. So Are You Experience is the first proper Hendrix album I ever owned. And there you have it. So let me give you some basic facts about this record, as only Wikipedia can bring them to you. (laughs) 
Are You Experienced is the debut studio album by the English-American rock band The Jimi Hendrix Experience, released in the UK on May 12, 1967 on Track Records, and in North America on August 23, 1967 on Reprise Records. It was produced by Chaz Chandler and was recorded from October 23, 1966 to April 4, 1967 at Delane Leah, CBS, and Olympic Studios, London, England. It reached number two on the UK Albums Chart and number five on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified gold by the BPI and five times platinum by the RIAA. Now it's time for the band's lineup card. We have Jimi Hendrix on guitar and lead vocals, Noel Redding on bass guitar and backing vocals, and Mitch Mitchell on drums and backing vocals. And for this podcast, we're going to be reviewing the original North American edition of this record. So if we have any British listeners who are getting all pissy about it, mm, sorry guys. Okay guys, let's dig into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We lead things off with Purple Haze, written by Jimi Hendrix. Ray P, do you like this tune? Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yes. a statement to make on your first album. This changed everything, not just lyrically, but also musically. It's an introduction to acid rock. I just love the heavy distortion and that, <clears throat> and then how it goes off into that main riff. And then the unsung heroes on this are this band. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Without that, a doubt. That heavy backbeat and that isn't he playing an eight string bass in this? Was he? Uh, I don't know. I, maybe I didn't read that, but yeah, maybe. I'd have to look into that. Well, I know he played it live. I remember, I remember from the the BBC sessions. That's what he when they would do the interviews that they would talk about the eight string bass that Noel Redding had. All right, huh. and it just so this thing is just plodding and heavy. Mm. Excuse me while I kiss the sky. <laughs> so many people uh, misinterpreted that. The, Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Well, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> I was the Osborne yeah. famous who said that. <laughs> yeah. I just love that that bottom end. It seems like they're really just trying to keep up with Hendrix on it. You know, almost catching him like a somebody that's going to tackle somebody in football. I was surprised to find out this was recorded in only four hours. Lyrically, Jimmy said this was based on some poem that he wrote about a dream he had which was informed by some sci-fi book that he was reading. I don't believe any of that. <laughs> it goes back to like, you know, any artist will always tell you when you ask them what their work is about, they'll be like, it's really up to the, it's up to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and this one to me is, this is LSD. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is what it's like. He's yeah. just going to go off. He's just, he doesn't know if he's going up or down. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just in a purple haze. I love this song. Yeah. Ray Z. Well, I think I'm going to kind of mention something that Ray had mentioned. Um, Steve Vine in an interview said something along the lines of, if it wasn't for Purple Haze, guys would be still sitting around the garages jamming to Louie Louie. Right. And uh, it probably, I think, I think he's right. This was a game changer for so many 
musicians along the way. I mean, and not just, you know, not just guitarists. I mean, there's other musicians. I mean, Miles Davis was influenced by Jimi Hendrix, too. So it is this great opening salvo of an album. I know I mentioned this a lot in other songs, but I got to mention it because it's a glaring thing. I know it's coming. The tritone. The tritone. The The song's in the key of E minor, uh, and the tritone Diablo and Musica Devil interval note is B flat. And it starts out with him, like, hitting... The lower octave and the higher octave of a B flat note, but I just realized while listening to this that, like, if you listen down below, Noel Redding's just playing a steady E. So it's not like deceptive. It's not like you think the song's going to be an E flat. That low pulsating E note actually lets you know that there it is. There's that devil's tritone right, right there. Right, that's an intro part that Ray P yeah. imitated with his voice. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, there's other parts of this song that have become a part of like a rock musician's vocabulary. Like the main purple haze all in my brain, that chord that he's playing is an E7 sharp 9, which I think forever known by a lot of guitarists that I know will be known as the Hendrix chord. Yes. I mean, he had a lot of other crazy chord tricks that he had, but that Now, the Hendrix chord, that's when he adds the ninth? Yeah, the sharp ninth. Yeah, yeah. When he sharps the nine, that's when it becomes... He does that frequently, I guess, Yeah, he does. Like, Chicago uses it, too, like, in, like, a musical setting, like, right before what... uh, What's that song? Spinning Wheel? Yeah. That's a seven sharp nine chord. But, you know, after Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think there was still the Chicago Transit Authority at that point. Um, But Mitch Mitchell's drumming... Mitch Mitchell, it was, like, a perfect foil for Jimi Hendrix's guitar playing, which was kind of wild and frenetic. And Mitch Mitchell, like, kind of, I think Mitch Mitchell kind of matched him on drums. I think he had enough of a background, and I'm just saying this because Mitch Mitchell's probably one of my favorite drummers from that era. Yeah. Um, It sounded almost like he had a jazz background, because Mitch, he could could swing like a mother. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd put him up with Ginger Baker anytime, personally. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of comparisons between the the dynamic between Hendrix and um, Mitchell, almost like the same kind of thing as uh, John Coltrane and Elvin Jones. All right. Yeah, it's like one guy would kind of push the other guy back and forth. Yeah. And, you know... One was fire, one was ice, and Noel Redding was lukewarm water yeah. in the middle. <laughs> to quote the Spinal Tap uh, thing, there, there's that whole story, like Ray was mentioning, about him having a dream being influenced by a science fiction book. He's yeah, like, yeah. "Nah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot more going uh, yeah. there." Yeah. It's kind of a weird little guitar solo too, because I think he's got an octave pedal going yeah. on that, and. Uh, you know, I mean, he could have turned it into like a total wank fest, but no, it's he just, doesn't. No, very it's just restrained. Very restrained and out there. And, yeah, but it's it fits. You you can't have that song and not have that solo in it. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to be echoing the, what both of you guys said. So for the third time, you're going to hear <laughs> it begins with that two note repeated tritone interval going into that awesome iconic riff. Then the verse riff begins with excellent drum fills from Mitch Mitchell. I'm going to be singing his praises this entire podcast. I got a feeling we all are going to. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there are a fuck ton of lyrics written for this, but Jimmy and Chaz Chandler kind of whittled it down and shaped it into the final version. There are many interpretations for the words. Many people think it describes an acid trip, kind of what Ray P is saying. Jimmy himself claimed different meanings. He said it came from the weird science fiction dream. He also said it was about a guy liking a girl so much it puts him into a dazed psychedelic state, which that's what I always thought it was when I read the lyrics. I love the ooh, you know, ah, ooh, ah, after the solo. Jimmy's solo is good. This one doesn't knock my socks off, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's still, you know, like just like you said, it Razor. serves the song. Sure, absolutely. The song, however, does knock me out with its psychedelic funk and soul overtones, yet it rocks your ass off. This is one of Jimmy's masterpieces, no doubt about it. This was released as a single in the UK, where it reached number three on the UK singles chart, and in the US it hit number 65 on the Billboard Hot 100. The next track is Manic Depression, written by Jimi Hendrix. Manic. 
love this song the drum roll and that opening riff i just love the way it rolls on sort of seamlessly it reminds me a lot of a zeppelin song uh hot's on for nowhere i was more into zeppelin than i was to anything else at this time that i was listening to this it's got that same rolling shuffle but it's got a lot more pace in this one mitch missile is killing it with that backbeat he is just on fire on this song it's got one of my favorite hendrix solos it just fits this song perfectly i did read during the research for this that some armchair psychologists speculated that Hendrix was somewhere close to the spectrum, or he may have been on the autism spectrum, which uh, I thought was kind of an interesting viewpoint. And he may have some merit with how he kind of goes off. And if you ever see him interviewed, he's a little bit of a, well, he's an oddball, a likable oddball, but he's an oddball. So Yeah. And the stories about his obsession with his guitar mm. are pretty legendary, too. He always had it with him. He let oh, yeah. slept with it. Under he, his bunk when yeah. he was in the army. Yes. Yeah, bringing it to movie theaters. Yep. Yeah, so that, that I think there's some merit to that, Ray. Yeah, could be. Do. Ray Z. <laughs> all right, this is dopey as all hell, but you know what my introduction to this song was? <laughs> Do you remember that TV show Moonlighting in the 80s? Yeah, Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> like somewhere in the first season. You know, there was, in this TV show, there's those back and forth. Is he going to pork her? Are they going to hook up? Right, right. And at one point, he gets real mad because she ditches him or something like that. And Bruce Willis just takes his car, blasts this song, and starts smashing his car. Wow. Like, ramming it into this thing in a parking garage. So that was, like, my introduction. Like, whoa, this song is awesome. Perfect. And the fact that he's smashing his car is awesome, too. (laughs) So, you know, kind of addressed my inner 13-year-old as two things that could be possibly awesome. Yeah, it's got that great chromatic intro, that down, 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 which pops up like Hendrix chromaticisms. I mean, he's that was part of his songwriting tool on this album. Yeah. And he... uh, and he made it work for him. But yeah, it's, the song itself is like in three, four waltz time, which you don't really get too often in a lot of rock. I mean, sure, yeah, there's someone. Not in popular music. Not no. in popular music. I mean, right. Mostly it's like that four on the floor backbeat kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and Mitch Mitchell, just, I think Mitch Mitchell personally owns this song. Yeah. I mean, his playing is just, it just kind of pushes over the top. I mean, the song itself was great, but I mean, you couldn't have like Phil Rudd play this song. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to hear that. He, yeah. he would stop halfway through because he'd be tired. Right. <laughs> <laughs> boom, tap, tap, boom, tap, tap. That's all you'd be getting out of Phil. <laughs> but um, I like the unison bends that he plays. Like in the second time he runs through the, the verse section. Like, yeah. I think that's awesome. That's kind of like that whole call and response thing that's kind of... There's controversy as to whether or not that's actually um, a unique facet of the African-American contribution to American music or if it's actually a European thing beforehand. It, it's a chicken and the egg thing at this point as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I think the I think it's... Well, I don't. I don't really know. I have my own views. I'll just leave them on that. But yep. that's definitely a, a call and response part. And the solo is like this psychotic blues extravaganza from hell. How can you play? How, how can you play guitar and not get into his leads? Oh, I know. Especially on that that one particular song. And I like at the end. It's like a return to the chromatic riff and with the unison bends. And while Mitch Mitchell's just kind of going off in the background, he gives Mitch a lot of space in this song. Yeah, which is actually kind of. 
I don't know how much of that was like Chandler's influence or Kramer's influence or just Hendricks being like, hey, I'm just going to let him go off. Because yeah. you hear a lot of times about the two guys in the experience feeling like they didn't have their their due, their due in, in yeah. his stuff. And my, I guess a lot of that was partially because of like time constraints and money constraints. Yeah. you, I would, It's the Jimi Hendrix experience. Exactly. It's not, it's, Mitch, it's Mitch not the Mitch Mitchell experience. experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but tell you what, I mean, you, I wouldn't know that by listening to this song. Yeah. And this is This is like, here you go, Mitch. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I can't say enough good things about the song. Okay, holy fuck. Dig Mitch Mitchell's drumming. Very fluid and jazzy, keeping the 3-4 time. Jimmy and Noel are playing together in unison, and I love the up and down main riff, and I really love the end of each section. I love that. Yeah, me too. It really turns me on. Damn, it gets my dick hard. <laughs> Jimmy shows his stuff on the solo this time, and even getting that little voodoo. That was good. Using feedback as a part of the solo instead of incidental noise and ripping out some hot licks. Jimmy himself said the lyrics are about figuring out how to make love to music as opposed to the same old woman. Until he does, he's depressed and frustrated. Great lyrics to this song, too. I think they get overlooked just because of the sound of the track. Mm. This is one of my favorite Hendrix songs ever. Top five easily. And this record's got me hooked, son, right now. The following track is Hey Joe, written by Billy Roberts. Ray P., what do you think? Well, first of all, I didn't know it was written by Billy Roberts. I, I went to go to YouTube to see his version, and wow, Hendrix kills this. This is the definitive version. It's highly disputed that he wrote this song, actually. Really? I'm going to get into it when I yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. when it's my turn. I'll... Oh, I, yeah, I didn't know. But this is this is the blues, like only Jimmy can play it. Not as much distortion on his guitar to my ears, not being a musician, but Redding's bass and the background singers of this. You really hear the background singers when you put it on the headphones. They add a foreboding mood to the song. It really does. It's a shade of dread, and it's kind of creepy and cool. To me, I thought this song was going to sound so dated because I, I hear it, but I didn't really – I haven't listened to it like I have for this last week. And I thought this one was going to be so dated, yet this one does not sound dated at all. So this is, this is just – this is a timeless one for me. I love this song. Absolutely. Razy? You know, it's kind of funny because this is like one of the first songs I remember a buddy of mine sitting me down to show me how to play. My buddy Matt Deal is kind of like one of the guys, also the other guys that was an influence on me starting to play guitar. And he sat down and showed me how to play those chords. And I, it was like my go-to thing for a while is just sit down and play C, G, D, A, and E <laughs> for yeah. a while. But you got that great intro riff that, that definitely like, you know, shows you where his blues roots are coming from. Yeah, that sounded good. And so this came out, album came out, what, 66, 67? 67. This is not the Summer of Love yeah. song at all. And it's kind of, I was listening to this and I thought about it. This is not Incense and Peppermints, you know. <laughs> this, mm -hmm. this is like the complete opposite. This is the dark side of life. And like Ray was saying, it's like more on lines of kind of like more of the blues tradition of, you know, my woman done me wrong, she's going to get it kind mm -hmm. of song. And so I like that it kind of stands out that way compared to probably a lot of the, the songs that were big at the time. 
And also, that great chromatic walk of the bow, now, 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 it just builds tension in the song. Yeah. And also, the whole song, it just kind of, it works on a buildup of tension. It starts out kind of, it's kind of mellow. Yeah. But, but it definitely builds in its intensity. Like Ray was mentioning, those background singers, total icing on the cake for that song. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and one more thing, I gotta say, I love Hendrix's vibrato. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, George Lynch, and B.B. King. And I guess to some degree, David Gilmore, too, are probably like musicians who have like my favorite guitar vibrato that can just like let that note like, ah, in the mm-hmm. background <laughs> <laughs> to, to something that I find pleasant to hear. So, yeah. Yes, and- I did. I shot him. <laughs> this is the first song from Jimi Hendrix I ever heard, and it's another favorite. It's got that blues structure, but listen to that guitar. Jimmy's throwing some funk up in here. This song has been covered by a gazillion artists, and it was copyrighted by American songwriter Billy Roberts. But the actual writer of the tune is disputed, and it's pretty convoluted to sift through. Jimmy based his version on American singer-songwriter Tim Rose's version, which you can definitely hear. I, I, I went back and listened to that version, and it's it's there. You know, it, 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 Jimmy plays it the way that he does, but it's not even in the same ballpark. Come on, it's a Jimi Hendrix experience. They own this song. Even your Aunt Gertrude knows that. <laughs> Jimmy showed Noel Redding that walking bass part which is just so freaking cool. And top UK female session vocalist, The Breakaways, recorded those haunting backing vocals. Mitch Mitchell plays some nice fills, and Jimmy plays a bluesy solo. The lyrics are about a man who caught his girl cheating, and that ain't too cool. He shoots her and runs off to Mexico. And to all those who piss on Jimmy's vocals, including Jimmy himself, who hated the sound of his own voice legendarily, like he even had himself blocked off in the studio so no one could see him. Yeah, I saw that. Fuck you. I've always dug his voice. What it lacks in range, it makes up for in feeling and soulfulness. He's a great singer. Fuck people who say he's got a lousy voice. This was the very first single released by the band, reaching number six in the UK singles chart. You know, I caught my old lady messing around town, and I gave her the gun. I shot him! (laughs) You know what's funny? You know who was one of the big inspirations for him for singing? He said, Bob Dylan. He said, if that cat can do all these great songs and sing like he does. And big time influence for uh, lyrics. Oh, Lyric- yeah. Oh, yeah. He I worshipped can, Dylan. Yeah, I can definitely pick up on yep. that. Yeah. And there's other people like Phil from Thin Linnet has a lot of Jimmy vocalisms. That's oh, not yeah. the same. Uh, Mark Sandman from Morphine had a lot of Jimmy style vocal vocal patterns. And like even uh, there's a countless there a guy who thought he couldn't sing. People were picking up and biting his style. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. The next track is Love or Confusion, written by Jimi Hendrix. Ray P, give us your thoughts on this. Okay, the distortion is back. I love Jimmy's playing on this one. Four songs in, and this is when I really got it again. This is what Hendrix is all about. He's a genius with expression on his guitar. He's doing what he does best. The musical paints a better picture of the story than the lyrics, even though they're both saying the same thing. This is not a song I want to hear if I have a headache, though. This song captures just the love or confusion. He doesn't know. And the music really paints that picture better than the lyrics do. Ray Z. 
This is like one of my favorite Jimi Hendrix guitar songs of all time, I gotta right. say. Um, I love the, the rhythm guitar playing in the beginning of the verse sections. Um, he's got that droning feedback in the background. It's great. I'm gonna say that I think Hendrix thought like a composer. I really do. I'm not saying he's Bach, but he definitely <laughs> thought about music in a broader perspective than just guitar histrionics for histrionics' sakes. I mean, he thought about layers, and it almost gets the impression that he thought about in terms of voices, which if you look, look at like any type of four-part harmony, yeah, it's, it's like he splits things up kind of like that, which I'm not saying he's following rules of counterpoint, but there's different little things that come in that make the whole of the song. Yeah, and it, he could very well be instinctively following rules of counterpoint. Yeah, exactly. You never know. I think, you know, in another setting, had he been born in another time or another place, I mean, yeah, he probably would have gone to conservatories and... But he took what he had and made use of it into so many different levels that this song itself is like a little indication of what's going to happen when he gets to like 1983 and Merman I Should Turn yeah. to Be or further down the road with the Band of Gypsies and Machine Guns, mm-hmm. uh, or Machine Gun, I mean. This is a composition as well as just, you know, a great rock song. Yeah, this is nice psychedelic rock done right. Jimmy's guitar does this wavy drone over the vocals that you mentioned. It definitely <laughs> captures... Yeah, yeah. It captures the confused vibe of the track. Mitch is drumming his ass off again, not playing it straight, and Noel is doing some interesting bass playing. He's not just aping the guitar. Mm. The solo section picks up the tempo slightly, and it's got a completely different feel. Mitch is favoring the ride cymbal. Noel is playing higher notes, and Jimmy's just fucking Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) Great solo. Almost feels Eastern. I read that it was Raga influence, Indian music. Oh, yeah, you can hear that a lot of his stuff. The lyrics are about Jimmy questioning himself about the girl he's chosen to be with. He's having self-doubts, and he can't decide if he's really in love or if he's just plain confused. You're probably confused, Jimmy. (laughs) I dig this track. The following track is May This Be Love, written by Jimi Hendrix. I can see my rainbow Some people say they dream is for all the lazy-minded fools with nothing else to do. Ray P, lay it on us. Uh, here's another one, just that that subtle little rumble of the drums. And Jimmy's high liquidy notes that he starts playing and he starts talking about waterfalls. Great description. This song is great. The Hawaiian style solo he plays is so hypnotic and lilting and airy. And it's soaring because it kind of pans from side to side. I I have no idea what the song's about other than I just like it. It just feels really comfortable. So... (laughs) Ray Z. Yeah, the, the beginning got that, I think it's a floor tom, that roll in the beginning with like all those little yeah. little kind of squeals, like beep, beep, and all the delays <laughs> in the background. It kind of like starts the thing. The, the, this song, I just noticed, is almost all tom work. There's very little snare on it, even when it picks up midway through. It's pretty much just Mitch Mitchell exploring the, the rest of the drum set and the toms. Yeah, and Ray picked up on it. The uh, guitar solo was inspi- inspired by Hawaiian slack key guitar. And I think it's one of his best solos. I mean, yeah, he's got tons of great guitar solos, but this is one of my favorite. Just like the kind of droning quality of it, which I think was probably influenced like a lot, but not only by the Hawaiian slack key guitar, but there's also kind of a weird modal thing. It's a lot more along the lines of like Indian music yeah. of what I've heard from there. And um, 
I think part of Hendrix's genius is that he filters what he envisions for his songs through the guitar. I mean, he could have easily have gone to Chaz Chandler like, Hey, can you hire me a slack guitar player? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, fuck that. I got an electric guitar. I'm going to make use of it. And I'm gonna, this, is what a, this is what a Hawaiian slacky guitar can do. And um, I think that also goes into like his compositional style with songs, too. So he just takes that, throws it through the electric guitar, and makes this brilliant, beautiful guitar solo. I always love this song, but listening to this thing on headphones and really paying attention this past week, it just fucking blew my mind. Mitch is drums, man. Mm-hmm. It proves he has touch and he can handle a lighter tone. It almost feels like you're under a waterfall. Jimmy's guitar is dreamy and ethereal and just glides along the shimmering ballad, very Hawaiian, we, as we've said. It's a perfect marriage of music and lyrics, creating this oceanic romantic atmosphere. The solo section is so freaking cool as the guitar and drums are panned on opposite sides, like Ray P says, and it just switches over and over as the solo progresses. At that re- I went, holy shit, this is incredible. The lyrics use waterfall imagery to describe a relationship. As far as I can tell, it's a pretty love song. That's what I'm picking up from it. It breaks up the hard rocking, and it's just beautiful. I love this one, too. And do you notice the rhythm guitar playing? He's playing behind his guitar solo. That's kind of that chord melody style stuff like you can hear in Little Wing. Yeah. And, stuff like that. and that's that's like one of his stock trademark things. I mean, I'm not sure a lot. I think he popularized it. I mean, he may not have invented it, but he definitely made it, brought it to the forefront for like being part of a rock musician's vocabulary. Yeah. Even the little pauses in the song. Beep, beep. Yeah, <laughs> these weird noises. Yeah. It's yeah. just, I don't know. It just, it just grabs me. Everything this, guy, this fucking guy does grabs me. It's incredible. Same. The next track is I Don't Live Today, written by Jimi Hendrix. Ray P, let's have it. Oh, this song. <laughs> this song. This one I always kind of go with. I imagine that a Vietnam soldier disillusioned and half in shock with the fog of war would really identify with this one. This one seems like Apocalypse. It should have come straight out of Apocalypse Now. I remember Jimmy was part of the 82nd Airborne, and he probably still had a lot of friends that were, were still in that he may or may not have been in contact with. I know Billy Cox he was still in contact with, and I think he got out after Jimmy. This song, it just comes up as like a soldier. You're you're stuck. You have a commitment. You don't live today. You have, you have to get through something. And this is when the Vietnam War was really starting to ramp up. I mean, I was just reading about uh, RFK and how this is when he, this was the year he decided that he was going to be running. It was 67. That's when he was going to be running because he couldn't stand going into the war. And he hated LBJ, but that was a whole different thing. It just kind of goes like, I don't live today. My life is on hold. That's what I can identify with. And I felt the same way when I was in the Air Force, when I really wanted to do something else. Mm. <laughs> the dive bomb and how the song just comes in and, and fades back in. Uh, there ain't no life nowhere. The, the chatter that's at the, back, that's at the end of the song really grabs me, where somebody just goes, damn, man, out of nowhere. I never heard that until I had the, the headphones on. And Hendrix inferring to the listener now you're experienced you're experienced and the feedback and the distortion and uh with all wailing all overhead on that one this is an excellent song raise e 
Yeah, they ain't no laugh nowhere. That, that's like, well, yeah. I could like listen to oh, that yeah. over again. I think I probably have sat there when I had my Walkman <laughs> listening to it over and over again. There's a couple rumors that I had heard about this, uh, a couple different sources. I remember I had to do a report on them when I was in college. That beat that Mitch Mitchell is playing was actually taught to Mitch Mitchell by Hendrix, and it's something that he had heard visiting a relative of his on an Indian reservation. Right. Because I think like his grandmother or his uh, his maternal grandmother is like full Cherokee or something yeah. like that. Oh, he had Cherokee roots on both sides. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely, for sure. So that's kind of where a little bit of that came from, or at least the rumor is that that, that came from. I'm not 100% sure about that. But it's got a great guitar intro with that down down bam down 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 down. Yeah, which sounds exactly like that. If you it listen, did. <laughs> my you're, Ray's, imita- you're imitating his guitar. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the Ray Zimmer at his He's got that great that guitar drone and feedback effect. That's great. It's got a killer chorus which punches you right in the gut. Yeah. He's got a kind of like almost a sitar like guitar solo on it, which. It's kind of befitting at the time as like, you know, Eastern culture, Indian culture, like through the Beatles and through other things started to work its way into like, you know, the Western world and pushing its way into pop art. I like how there's like almost a fade out in the end and all of a sudden that riff comes back and and brings you right back into the song. Mm -hmm. Full force of the drums too, that's another part. Basically, the drums and the guitar and they're doing battle (laughs) at the end of the song. It almost creates like this auditory dystopian landscape especially when he's like oh there ain't no life nowhere you can almost kind of see like this mad max kind of like crazy outback kind of a situation so this is like uh and, and just the way it goes out it's pretty avant-garde too so that, that's one of these things this takes you to some scary stuff yeah and i've kind of always gleaned towards it leaned towards that kind of thing yeah to me, this one starts off as more kind of straightforward hard rock. I dig that main riff. Now, 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 now. Of course, I have to throw in my two cents imitating it. <laughs> but the drums are up front. They really pound this time. The tone of the lyrics is just miserable and despairing. That life itself is just crushing and everything looks terrible. Why bother existing? Jimmy dedicated the song to American Indians and other minority groups. And it sounds like Jimmy even injects a little anger into his vocals in the chorus. The way he barks out, I don't live today. There's a false ending when it comes back. It's noisy. Guitar feedback. It's everywhere. And, uh, you described it perfectly, Ray. The, the guitar and the drums are battling each other. That's what it sounds like. It's just all over the place. It's just chaos. Jimmy's voice fades in and out. Get experience. You know. Yeah. It's trippy as fuck. It adds to the down feel of the track. It's another winner. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on The Wind Cries Mary, written by Jimi Hendrix. After all the jets are in the boxes And the clowns have all gone to bed You can hear happiness staggering on down the street Footprints dressed in red And the wind whispers very P, you like this one? I love this song. It seems to me like Jimmy broke up with somebody and he just can't get over her. And uh, even the wind starts crying her name. I was surprised to find out this was recorded in only 20 minutes with Noel and Mitch never hearing it before that. What a statement about how good those two were. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It says a broom is drearily sweeping the broken pieces of yesterday's life. It's, It's such an evocative solo from Hendrix. It's so bittersweet. 
even the traffic lights will turn blue tomorrow. What a great line. Yes. I mean, this it's not painted black. It's, hey, I'm down. I'm blue. I really miss this girl. And this is what's happening. This is an awesome song. Yeah. <laughs> Ray Z. Well, who's the girl? It was a girlfriend. It was like Kathy Etchingham or yep. something like that time. Yep. Was it kind of like inspired by a, yes. a brawl he had it with her or something yep. like that? And she, I think her middle name might have been Mary. Mary. Yeah, yeah. So yep. that makes that makes some sense then. This song is kind of, I'm sure, I think, Ray, you mentioned the Chitlin circuit at one point, uh, how he and Billy Cox did a tour on it. I think this is when we were doing the Rolling Stones reviews. But uh, yeah, his a lot of his roots were playing with like guys like Little Richard and King Curtis and... Um, I yep. think there's a bunch of other ones too. Actually, I saw the Isley I, Brothers. Yeah, the Isley Brothers. I listened to the King Curtis. I saw it on audio tape. I listened to it one time. You can really can't really tell Jimmy. Can't tell Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I guess there was like a contractual thing. Like once he got famous, all of a sudden, like King Curtis, like, hey, I had Jimi Hendrix in my band. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, that R and B kind of feel comes into this. Like the first time he goes to the verse section, you hear what I call. Actually, there's a guitarist. They call him his nickname was Chank, but it's that R and B that mm, Chank. Ding, ding, that yeah, two yeah, and yeah. four on the, on the yeah. second and fourth beat guitar. He doesn't really do it much after in the song, but he definitely addresses it in the beginning, which kind of gives it the R and B feel. The solo is great. So a lot of chord melody stuff kind of going in there. I mean, it's not just single note stuff. He takes advantage of whatever note is next to the one that he's going after, and if it sounds good together, pff, perfect. So this solo it's like one of those ones that just kind of gets in your head. When I was a kid, this was on my fast forwards greatest hits. No shit. Yeah, not until like my late. Well, like a, yeah, yeah. I just want rock. Yeah, then this, this is kind of like yeah, yeah, this would be a snooze fest. But like in my late twenties, like no, this song is great. Yeah. Um, the thing that's cool about Hendrix is he can melt your face off with a guitar solo, or he kind of kind of creates these soundscapes with layered guitar layered guitar chords. And actually, he kind of does that a bit of that in the song. It's not the entire album, but when he does the clean channel stuff, it's brilliant. Yeah. Damn, another beautiful ballad. The story goes that Jimmy wrote this after having a big argument with his then-girlfriend, Kathy Etchingham, whose middle name was Mary. Musically, it's gentle and kind of drifts along. Jimmy is playing multi-layered clean guitars, and Mitch's drums and Noel's bass are understated with all the instruments returning and repeating the main theme. Jimmy's solo plays to the easy rolling nature of the song, and it doesn't crush you into the ground, despite the numerous overdubs filling in the notes, because you can detect the tonal differences, too. I guess the solo was done like piecemeal. Mm -hmm. The lyrics to me are very Bob Dylan-ish, as Dylan was admittedly a major lyrical influence on Jimmy, and Bob Dylan himself said this was his favorite Hendrix song. Oh. Uh, there's some fantastic imagery, like Ray P. was touched on, and it's open to interpretation, but I feel like it's just going for a mood, the sadness and desperation to not let go of Mary, let's get past this and work things out as the wind whispers, cries, and screams for her. Just an amazing track. It was released as a single that reached number six on the UK Singles Chart. And I mentioned before his uh, his chromatic chromatic songwriting technique. It's kind of cool because the first time you hear that intro riff, it's done like with the fourth bone thrown on the top and the intro, like dun dun dun. But then he goes and abandons the fourth and goes to like the major thirds and and yeah. it just alternates between the two of those, which I thought was a very effective songwriting tool in Hedrick's part. Yeah, because it begins and ends the track too. And yeah, yeah. It, it bookends it yeah. nicely. Yep. The following track is Fire, written by Jimi Hendrix. Fire. Hey, let me stand next to your fire. Oh, let me stand, baby. Let me stand. 
Ray P., what do you think about this? <laughs> I think this is Jimi Hendrix's Beach Blanket Bingo song. <laughs> and he's just going to invade Frankie and Annette's little time on the beach. Um, this is the most dated 60s shindig song on the album. I love it, but it's the, this is the dated one. I hated this song when they played it in Wayne's World. <laughs> I, I That girl, just as she crucified it. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. Mitch Mitchell's drumming in this. He's drumming like this is the last song he's ever going to play, and he is going for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I love the solo from Jimmy on it. All right. Ray Z. <laughs> I second what Ray P says about the drums. I mean, this is Mitch Mitchell's playing on this. is in the pocket. This song is nuclear-powered funk. This is the meters after 12 cups of espresso. <laughs> and I, the, way I, the reason I said it is because if you listen to the, uh, the way Hendrix and Noel Redding kind of lock in on the same guitar, that there, 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 there. Uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, and the guitar and the drumming is definitely like just sped up meter stuff. So right out of their handbook, but <laughs> very very cool that. And like it's got those power chords that kind of enter the solo. And Hendrix could also just as far as his solo is concerned, he can say a lot with this like long plaintive sustained notes, and which is kind of funny, like juxtaposed with the rest of the song because it's so you know fast paced and moving, and he's like. Bam! He's just letting his nose just yeah. ring out. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost a joke, <laughs> but it's a pretty cool effect. And he comes back. To, it's funny, funny because he just revisits the solo on the way back. The outro solo is pretty much just re- revisiting the main solo. So it, it's an interesting little number. Yeah, the bass is up front in the mix, and it carries the chorus and puts it over well. I love the bass in this song. Mm-hmm. Mitch's drums are fast and jazzy with all kinds of awesome fills that Mitch was so good at. It totally works in this fast rock context. The song's chorus came from when Jimmy was invited to stay at Noel Redding's mother's house on a cold New Year's Eve. He asked if he could stand next to the fireplace and warm himself, but her great dang dog was in the way. Hence the line, I'll move over, Rover. Let Jimmy take over. <laughs> Apparently, he literally said that to the dog. That's the legend anyway. But other than that, the lyrics are all about having sexy time with Jimmy. It's his only burning desire. The short solo wails and Jimmy just rocks this out. This track is the shit, but do not ever mention the Red Hot Chili Peppers hideous <laughs> version of this tune to me in the same breath as the Jimi Hendrix experience, unless you want your ass handed to you. <laughs> I like RHCP, but yeah, as far as like uh, Mother's Milk is concerned, that was on Fast Forward's Grace. Fuck Instagram. that noise. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. The next track is Third Stone from the Sun, written by Jimi Hendrix. What about this? Okay, let's do some acid and go surfing. <laughs> That's what this song reminds me of. It's very modal jazz. It's it's a uh, very evocative of Miles Davis to me. Its transitions are very smooth until just before the solo with the spoken word. If apparently Jimmy was really into sci-fi, more of an atmospheric background instrumental than a song to me, even though it's the longest song on the album. I like how it returns back to the original riff at the end but a lot heavier and, and just distorted to the max. 
And then I don't get what the end is. What's what? Is that a train at the end? That's what I thought too. Like a train clacking, like train tracks. That's what yeah. it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah. I actually don't know. So, I mean, I don't dislike this song, but I don't get it. Rizzy, um, I wasn't a huge fan of this song. Um, I like the, how the intro is kind of like there's definitely like jazz stuff going on with Mitch Mitchell's drums, and he's swinging like you wouldn't believe. It's got that kind of little small guitar interlude before it goes into like Ray was saying the main riff that very modal. I think it's kind of based on like a mixolydian kind of a mode, which kind of lends itself to like a lot of Eastern kind of stuff. And it's cool because it's in octaves. Now I guess he could have technically used an octave pedal, but I get the sneaking suspicion that he was just playing octaves with his you know muting the middle string a la West Montgomery and just playing both strings simultaneously. He was yeah okay so that's the way I always did it anyway. Yeah so yeah it just gives you this image of like. For me, anyway, like an alien kind of passing over planet Earth, not quite seeing humanity yet until all of a sudden it just kind of gets quiet. And it starts again after it goes to like the regular rock beat to more of a swing beat back again, like more, more like, you know, like 50s style, late 40s, 50s style jazz tempo. Um, and then he's got the, all these strange effects are coming in. That's a feedback and whammy bar and kind of creates images of a plate of like a, almost like a spaceship coming down closer to Earth, flying along the surface and seeing a bunch of things. And unfortunately hearing surf music, which he will never hear again. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he passed over Cal- Southern California, got a whiff of the Beach Boys and the Ventures. And it's like, no. <laughs> and then it takes off again and then the song just goes into complete and utter chaos like you had mentioned there's like then there's kind of like industrial sounds in the background and I, yeah, I think Ray I think you're right I think it is a train or something like that so E.T. dipped his toes in the water saw what was going down and he's like this isn't hip yeah. and he just took right off <laughs> yeah this is a mostly instrumental psychedelic jazz rock tune that has multiple sections and some cool riffs that has some science fiction inspired lines as Jimmy was interested in science fiction and space travel. <laughs> the title of the track comes from Earth being the third planet from the sun in our solar system. And there are some cool guitar melodies and weird effects. And there are some spoken word poetic lyrics about aliens discovering the Earth but not understanding the people. But mostly there's a bit of low voices. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it, but it is my least favorite. Something's got to be, I guess. So this is Aaron Stinky Stinker. You know, I'm shackled to my own fucking rules. The penultimate track is Foxy Lady, written by Jimi Hendrix. Okay, Ray P., what do you think? Heavy, sexy, lusty. Ow! Jeez, mm. this is everything. And now I'm going to do a disclaimer. I'm a huge Zeppelin fan, but this is everything that Whole Lot of Love wishes it could be musically. Mm. And that's a huge statement. Yeah, it is. So, With less time, too. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, the lyrics, Foxy Lady, may seem a little trite, but damn, the music drives this message home. 
that driving rhythm feels like an aroused heartbeat pounding through your chest. They, everybody understands what this song is about. All you got to do is look at Garth in that Wayne's World movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is just, Unfortunately, this is going to always be tied to that. But yeah, yeah, no. Well, yeah. yeah, it's going to be our age. But still, yeah. Yeah. Th- that, this song is so raw. I can't think of a more powerful and straightforward expression of sexual pursuit. This is, this is the song for that. All right. Rizzy? This song is Feedback 101 mm-hmm. for any aspiring guitarist wanting to like really make use of real great, effective use of feedback. From what I understand, this is about Roger Daltrey of The Who is his girlfriend, Heather. It's like, I guess Jimmy had a thing for her, something fierce. <laughs> uh, but yeah, kind of like what Ray was saying, I can't hear this song without seeing fucking Dana Carvey with yeah. the blonde wig on and his buck teeth and those... Horn rimmed glasses making the fox <laughs> lusting after Donna Dixon. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> who didn't, man? But yeah, it's a great riff too. This supposedly this is the the inspiration for Zach Wilde when he can't play the riff for Miracle Man. Wow. Um, but you know, they're both in the same key. Both hit the you know those you know right. the high E and A strings on it too. The guitar solo needs to get laid so bad it hurts. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, that, awesome. and that every time I hear this song, oh, that's all I can think. That's like you know, that's your standard ninth grade power boner. Oh yeah, um, yep. putting a song, yep. you know, <laughs> and that's what it's all about. So big, big thumbs up and other anatomical parts up for Foxy Lady. All right. <laughs> oh yeah, Foxy. No hidden meanings or messages here. Jimmy's got the hots for a cute little heartbreaker who also happens to be a sweet little lovemaker. This is just a growing level, mid-tempo, hard rock tune, great riffs, loose drumming, lascivious vocals, badass blues rock guitar solo. And even though Wayne's World tried their damnedest to make me not like this song anymore, they failed. I still love it. What's not to like? This is a signature song, and the experience loved playing it. I guess it was one of their favorite songs to play. Here I come, baby. This was released as a single and reached number 67 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. And that brings us to the final track, the title track, Are You Experienced? Written by Jimi Hendrix. Then come on across to me We'll hold hands and then we'll watch the sunrise From the bottom of the sea But first, are you experienced? Ray P, last song, what do you say? Now for something totally out of left field. (laughs) We've rocked, we've had the blues, we've fused, we've gotten jazzy. Now this. I don't understand if that a tape loop or or of of a backward kind of pick slide for the effect that he's got. It's cool as anything, but it's kind of, it's almost reminiscent of the Beatles rain, how he does that. Whatever that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw that when they would play this live, they would really stretch this out. And for the films I saw, he is doing a pick slide on it, but it doesn't sound the same. Right. But that's just studio. Yeah. It doesn't have the effects on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, this one stands out for me with his, not only his playing and what's going on, if you really listen closely with with your headphones on, what Jimmy's playing is just completely different from anything else on the album. And his lyrical twists on this are are great. How he's gonna will hold hands and watch the sunrise from the bottom of the sea, not necessarily stone, but beautiful. I remember this song. My dad picked up my cassette, 
And he was like, what is this? What is this? Are you experienced? What's this about? And he turned it over and he saw Foxy Lady. And are you experienced? He's like, is this about sex? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just looking at him like, no, are you experienced? Is like, have you heard his music? (laughs) (laughs) Foxy Lady is about what you think it is, Dad. Ray Z. Well, kind of like uh, your dad, Ray. I was like, is this about sex? Is it about tripping balls? I mean, I suppose it could be a little bit either. Yeah. I mean, it gets to the part about trumpets and violins. And I think that's, that's open to interpretation. I'm sure it's, it's equally part sex and equally parts tripping. Um, but actually, Ray, from the way I understand it, this is the fourth take of the guitar and drums being played backwards. There, there, there. I tried doing a loop of it originally, and it just didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah, it just wasn't happening. Yeah. So, so they, Jimmy just said, "Fuck it, I can just play it." Yeah, just play it. And yep. the guitar solo is definitely backwards. I mean, other guys have since used it, like Kim Thale used it on "Holy Water," and John Frusciante uses it on, um, I think, for his solo for "Give It Away." But the very first time I ever heard a backward guitar solo, I thought, "What the fuck is this?" Yes. And I was like, "How would you even recreate this live?" I mean, I'm sure there's probably ways between like. Stomping on different pedals and hitting different volume pedals. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know, but it just like fucks with your head. And it's all one chord. It's one guitar chord and one piano. There's no bass on this anywhere. Yeah. This song, I think, is a testament to Hendrix as a composer. Once again, I mean, he has an idea. I think he had an idea in mind of what he was going after, and he's thinking more of time, more in terms of like the all over after effect. He doesn't really care so much about. Well, here's my cool solo in this part, and here's my cool, here's the cool drum part on that. He just has an end result of wanting to make a great composition, and this is an example of that in a completely mind fucked way. Yeah. Oh my ass! I love this song. It's the band's psychedelic masterpiece. The military style snare drum and the droning, clanging, monotonous piano chord anchor the track. But after that, musically, the thing is just a freak-out bonanza. Backwards guitar. Backwards drums. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, 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 there are backwards drums yeah. on this, too. Yeah, predating guitar scratch. Yeah, backwards solo. This song will take you on a trip, no doubt about it. I do love the forward guitar riffs, too. The main riff. Oh, yeah. I love the tone of his guitar in that. Too. It's the, the tone of this guitar is different than any other oh, track yeah, on this album, too. Oh, yeah, he plays with the tones. He plays oh, with his, his strat like it's a Swiss Army knife. I so fucking love it. And I love the, I think Ray P was talking about that, whatever that is, whatever yeah. he's doing there, you know, yeah. even in, and it's even in the chorus, mm-hmm. the first time where he says, you know, are you experienced, you know, yeah. you hear that, that, whatever he's doing there, I yeah. can't imitate the sound, but I love that, how that sounds. Jimmy's vocals come across like he's your guide to the acid trip, and the song is whacked out imagery, watching the sunrise from the bottom of the sea, you're made of gold and can't be sold, trumpets and violins calling our name. On the surface, it seems drug-fueled, but again, it leaves a lot to your own interpretation. To me, it's always been about just achieving a state of mind, however you get there. Jimmy actually says not necessarily stone, but beautiful. It's your own state of being, very inclusive. Far out, man. Perfect closer to this record. Even that fade out and quick fade back in at the end hits the right hits the right thing. And it yeah. just, it's just a perfect track. It's another one of my favorite Hendrix tracks. Fuck me, this album is chock full of them. Word. Now that the track by track is done, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which belongs in a cesspool. Ray P, let us in on your final thoughts about Are You Experienced? Well, this album changed the way people looked at the guitar, plain and simple. So there was not a player after that. Anything before that, you could tell this was before Hendrix. It's just like a, it's almost like Christ being born. But I'm going to hell for saying that. But <laughs> so it's kind of got that same sort of shift to it. This one's a five all the way. Absolutely. Ray Z. 
Along the same lines, I mean, every once in a while an artist comes along and he inspires a kid to pick up a set of drumsticks or to pick up a guitar pick or pick up a guitar. It's like, before Jimmy, I'm going to go with probably, I mean, sure there are other ones, but I think probably like Scotty Moore from the Elvis band and like Chuck Berry. I'm sure it got a lot of kids playing guitar, Carl Perkins. And I think there's a little, a bit of a lull. And then all of a sudden, Hendrix comes in and he's getting kids not only picking up guitar picks, buying electric guitars, but playing around distortion and fuzz. And he totally like reshaped the way things were going. Now I'm going to give this one a five with a disclaimer. This is not my favorite Hendrix album by any means. I mean, I can find probably nuggets on all of his recordings, but this is the album that set it off. This is the one that launched a thousand and one whatever guitar picks. Yeah. And every song, I didn't even have an one raised unimpressed musical pick on this entire album. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with my five for this album. Yeah. This is one of those landmark albums that completely changed the game for rock music. In my opinion, it's as important as Sgt. Pepper or Pet Sounds. There was electric guitar music before Are You Experience, and then the majority of rock music that came after was influenced by this record. I think Ray P. already said this, but it bears repeating. Jimi Hendrix himself has long been considered, if not the greatest rock guitarist of all time, at least near the top of the discussion. He cut his teeth performing on the Chitlin circuit and as a sideman for such performers as Slim Harpo, Sam Cooke, Ike and Tina Turner, and Jackie Wilson. He ended up playing with the Isley Brothers and Little Richard, but Jimmy had a restless artistic spirit and he needed to do his own thing. He was discovered playing in a club by Chas Chandler, the bassist for The Animals, who became his manager and producer and brought him to England, which was very important. Chandler recruited the other members of the experience and they played a few clubs and got a strong buzz going. Prominent English rock stars like Eric Clapton, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Brian Jones, Mick Jagger, Jeff Beck, and Pete Townsend saw the band and were stunned at Jimmy's talent. The experience began to record its first singles, and Hey Joe, The Wind Cries Mary, and Purple Haze were released in the UK. Jimmy's star was rising. He had the look with his hippie freak-out clothes, and his dark skin was kind of alien and kind of exotic to the British crowd, and he had the ambition he was both a serious artist and an unabashed showman, performing stage antics such as lighting his guitar on fire and projecting a raw sexuality that was getting the band noticed. But he also took pains in developing his music, experimenting with early guitar effects and always looking to come up with interesting and different sounds. It's damn near impossible to list all the guitarists that Jimmy influenced in his wake. Isn't it an exaggeration to say all of them? The other two members of the experience were no slouches either. Noel Redding was a guitar player who agreed to switch to bass and was capable of playing melodic bass lines. And Mitch Mitchell was a jazz-influenced drummer whose playing was occasionally busy but complemented the music perfectly. This album blew people's minds when it was released, first in the UK and then months later in the US with a different track listing. And when you talk about the great debut albums of all time, this stands right up there with the very best. Put a gun to my head, and yeah, I'll admit it, it's probably my favorite. This is my favorite Hendrix album. This record gets a resounding five from me. If you are a serious fan of rock music, you must have this album in your collection. It's a desert island disc for me. And from Album Addicts, David Noel Redding, John Graham, Mitch Mitchell, and James Marshall, Jimi Hendrix. Rest in peace. Now we'd like to thank once again the former ump of the podcast, Ray Permi. Ray P., thanks for coming back, man. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Loved it. So. All right. Same here, man. Definitely. We're, doing, we're definitely doing another one. That's, that's in the works. Oh, yeah. We're, we're bringing you back. I'm we're down. We're bringing you back. I'm down. All right. So. 
And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us like Ray P. just did. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Album Addicts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ray. See ya. I don't believe it. I like how your dad was a fan but didn't have any of the any of his albums. That's like the uh, heart of the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody loved him, but nobody owned any of it. which I was doing all by myself because my wife was at work. Yeah. So I load it all up to the back of the truck. I come home, I unload it, and I spread it all out. I was I was in just jeans and a T-shirt, and I was sweating like crazy. But it's 60 degrees out, and the, and the wind is blowing. So by the time I was done, I was cold. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I need something to warm my bones, and I'm beat. I worked out already this morning, and 
I was just like, please. If it was 60 degrees here right now, we'd be out in shorts and oh, a black yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember. <laughs> 65 to get your jams in. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I remember, like, acting like you're all there. Yeah. yeah. I remember I came home on leave and... March of 2006, and I had been, I, I was in Iraq at that point, so we're like, yeah, 60, 70, 80 degrees, really felt kind of on the nippy side, so we came home to like 30 degrees, and I felt like I was in the coldest snap yeah. ever, like in mid-February, yeah. I was like, this sucks, yeah. <laughs> as a lifelong New Englander, you're supposed to be proud of being able to withhold, withstand yeah. that kind of temperatures, like, this, I was crying, <laughs> I want to go back to Iraq, my experience, was, I lived in Florida for a couple years, so like, the first a winter down there. I'm like, what's the matter with you people? I'm running around. <laughs> but by the second year, I'm like, oh shit, it's it's 50 degrees. I'm cold. <laughs> so yeah, no, I get it. Oh my god, it, it. it's 40 here, and they call out the national. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what the hell to do. We're having national warming tents. <laughs> All right.